As you know, I've been on holidays for the last three weeks, and my final day of holidays was last Sunday. And Hamish, who's six years old, comes up to me and says, Dad, are you coming to church with us this morning? Because as you know, they came to church last week and I didn't. I said, no, Ham, I can't because I'm on holidays and it's difficult for people to understand me being on holidays if I'm present. There'll be a lot of conversations and this is going to be the last day of holiday. He goes, oh, okay. And then he thinks it through. He says, Dad, I am going to tell you everything that happens at church. And I said to him, no, Ham, please don't tell me anything that happens at church. Because for me, being detached and replenished means I've got to be mentally detached to be replenished. And he looks at me and he says, don't you love Jesus anymore, Dad? Now, there was a split second where I realized two things. First of all, I realized that the ecclesiology, the understanding of church and God that I've been teaching my son for the last six years, has paid off in spades. It is the perfect answer that he should give. It's a perfect question he should give to me in that scenario. And secondly, I was horrified that now my son doesn't think I love Jesus because I wasn't at church that morning. So I quickly uh, corrected the situation. I said, you should tell me everything that happened in church. That is a good thing because I do love Jesus, which he nodded and went away and promptly came home from church and forgot everything that happened that morning. But church is foremost about Jesus. It's about Jesus's will, Jesus' love, Jesus' acceptance, his mission. The Bible talks about the church being the movement of Christ, the body of Christ, the bride of Christ, the family of Christ. And today we're looking at how the church is the gathering of Christ. Often when someone joins a class and they go through membership class um, to become a church member, that, that class can take sometimes from a, an hour in some churches to a, a month in other churches to a whole year in other churches. Now we have a unique situation with us where just under three months ago, we found ourselves all in a brand new church. And those who were members at Burley Hedge Uniting Church, which was our 9 a.m. service, your membership was transferred over and you are now, now members of Burley Village Uniting Church. And the same for you that were part of uh, Burley Village Church and members there, you are now automatically transferred over and you are members of Burley Village Uniting Church. And those of you that weren't members are still not members. So that wasn't enforced upon you at all. But since three months ago, we've had a number of guests come who are now friends, who are now part of our church. They're a regular part of Burley Village Uniting Church. And so we're a mixed bunch. Would you agree? We're a very mixed bunch. And to help this, we're going to invest the next five Sundays in del into delving in what the Bible means when it refers to his church in order to accomplish two things. To help us all learn who God is calling us all to be and to give those who aren't members the chance to see if they'd like to become members, which we'll be able to do at the end of this series. The Bible, along with the Holy Spirit, is the top authority on what a church should look like. And the Bible has some very challenging things to say to every church. For example, in 1 Peter 2, verse 4, it says, As you come to him, 
It's talking about Jesus. The living stone rejected by humans, but chosen by God and precious to him. You also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Now, the disciple Peter wrote these things. He lived through the birth of the church, and he's now reflecting on it. Peter was the one who, on the festival of Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit came and the church was born, Peter was the preacher who preached it in. Uh, we, uh, and so, so as he's preaching about this, he's using these metaphors of stones and buildings and houses to capture what Jesus has been talking about. And we know it's a metaphor because there were no physical buildings called churches at that time. It wasn't until 250 years later that the first purpose-built church was built in Aquabar, Jordan, which is 320 kilometers south of where Peter is writing these words, which means Peter knows nothing of what we experience about church today. He could never have imagined this building or that we would come here on a Sunday morning to do church. He wouldn't understand this or anything like it. His understanding of church was the gathered people of God who borrowed properties as often as they possibly could and usually in the home of a wealthy member and they prayed together and they encouraged one another and they sang together. That's what church gathering was. And that act is what focused them to go out and share the gospel, to help the poor, to care for the sick, to house the widows and to impact society. And so he writes to the gathering of Christians he deeply loves. And it says in verse 4 of 1 Peter 2, as you, plural, so not you individual, you plural, as you come to him, that's Jesus, the living stone, Peter is trying to say that the foundation we are built on is alive and moving and vibrant and filled with power. Rejected by humans, but chosen by God and precious to him. You also, you, plural, are also rejected by the world, but you are also chosen by God and you are so very precious to him. You guys, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood. We are the holy priesthood of Jesus. Come on. Anyone feel like a priest this morning? That means that, that Jesus has the authority of the priests and we have the responsibility of the priests. Everything a priest did in the temple was now expected of every follower of Jesus. Who's keen for us sacrificing a lamb afterwards? A bit of a lamb barbecue to enjoy close of the service. It's quite confronting, right? Except we don't need to make a sacrifice because Jesus was that sacrifice for us. And so, so the need of our priesthood is no longer to do the acts in the, in the temple of sacrificing. It's to do everything else a priest was expected to do. Offering spiritual sacrifices accepted to God through Jesus Christ. As priests, we all have sacrifices to make, but the sacrifices are spiritual. He's actually building on what Paul would have been preaching on. Present your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. That's from Romans 12. He's saying, you, gathered together, following Jesus, 
accepting and loving each other, praying deeply, loving your enemies, choosing holiness and purity, welcoming those who you don't yet know into the kingdom of God, that is offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. You have given your life to be used for God's purposes. You've given your life to God and say, God, use this for whatever purpose you have. And then he cites some Old Testament verses, much like when you're writing an essay in university, if you cite your sources. So he cites his sources, and then he arrives at these powerful and profound words. And he's writing these words to you, to the church, to you, the gathered people of God, gathered around Jesus. He says, but you are a chosen people. You are a royal priesthood, a holy nation. You are God's special possession. The church is God's special possession that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. You together are these things. Apart from each other, you cannot be these things. But together, God is empowering you to become a chosen people. You are a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful, wonderful light. How beautiful it is that our identity is found in Christ and experienced when we are together, when we're lawn bowling like we did yesterday. We had a massive crowd turn out. It was awesome. When we're in worship together, when we share morning tea afterwards, of which you're all invited to do. When we invite a new friend around to your place for lunch with other friends. When you go to a Bible study or a small group or you're at friendship club or play group or youth group or at village kids, it's a gathering together that gives us our identity in Jesus. The church is the gathering of Jesus. Now, let's say we have a friend called Max. Have we got any Maxes here this morning? Nope. Good. Good. I, I, love, I, I know a few Maxes and I love them, but we're just going to use Max as representative of someone in the Burley community who's never been to church, never been near a church, doesn't think he knows any Christians, there's no connection to Christianity at all. And then we would get Max and we say, Max, tell us, what do you think the church is? And he would likely have a few answers. And one of those answers, maybe he may say, it is an old, archaic, and potentially even evil institution. That's what Max might say. Because of what's been allowed to happen to children in the past, because of what's happened with the misuse and misappropriation of funds, of money, because of the judgment and guilt it's heaped on the world by its rules and regulations, we would say, Max, it's a little bit harsh. But it's still a viewpoint that's held by people in our community. Real people in our world, in Burley, hold this viewpoint. And we actually are part of an institution. Did you know that? We're part of one. It's called the Uniting Church. It's called a denomination and in this day and age, for a gathering group of people with an identity to come together, you must belong to an institution. You can't exist outside of it. You have to own buildings, to organize events, to obtain insurance, to stay in existence. You need to be an institution, to hold money, 
legally. Now, we have different levels of our institution. So I want you to think of an inverted triangle, so a triangle that is resting on its point. And right at the top, the biggest area and the most supported area, the top of the pyramid, which is actually the bottom, the largest part of the pyramid that's at the top, on the top level is us, the congregation. We who worship on Sundays and we do things throughout the week, we live to love and bless our community. We are at the top and we are supported by everything else. And so the first layer of support is the next rung down, which is our presbytery. And our presbytery is called South Morton Presbytery and it reaches from Benora Point, which is North New South Wales, all the way up to South Brisbane, out to Ipswich and Bow Desert and all the way to the sea. And they have, the presbytery has a responsibility to support the congregation. Now the synod is the state level, that's the next rung down, and they have a responsibility to support the presbytery who supports the congregation. And we are part of what is called the Queensland Synod. And then there's the National Council of the Uniting Church, the Assembly of the United Church, and their role is, you guessed it, support the synod who supports the presbytery, who supports the congregation. Everybody in assembly belongs to presbytery, and everybody in presbytery belong sorry, everybody in Assembly belongs to synod, and everyone in the synod belongs to presbytery, and everyone in presbytery goes to a local congregation. So it's all a manifestation of what happens in the local congregations. All about that, the entire system is set up to support that. And each of these institutional levels, they have councils. And when you think about councils, I want you to think about the, the metaphor of Olympic rings. Yes, now, there is no gold medal given out for being on church council. <laughs> Could I have an amen on that? No one's ever received a gold medal. You get receive a lot of stuff. It's not necessarily good, but, um, but you don't get a gold medal. There's no gold medals. But just think about the rings. You see those rings? They're interconnected. The councils of the church speak to one another. They are connected. They're not isolated from one another. They are in relationship with one another for the advancement of the church, for the advancement of the kingdom of God. And I realize some of you know this. Some of you are like, come on, Ralph, move on. But not everyone of you know this, and it's important that we all know this. We have an institutional framework to service, but we are not an institution. Burley Village Uniting Church is not an institution. However, we belong to one to protect us and to help us and to service every church including the very first one. And Peter was part of the very, very first church, the one that we're reading his words today, has needed an institutional framework. And so after hearing this, Max would say, Max might say, that is a brilliant argument. I am absolutely convinced. I'm not sure Max might say that, but anyway, that's what we hope Max would say. And he said, if you're not an institution, you are definitely a building. <sighs> oh, that's a good one, Max. It's, it's a good one because... Every church meets in a building, and when they meet, that building is called what? Yeah, a church. Yeah. So we do not help people, do we, by creating buildings and calling them churches and then tell the people that the church is not the building, but we meet in the building that's called church. See, this building is the location in which we meet that's called church. In China, you'll find it in people's homes. In Cambodia, you'll find it in the center of rural villages. In Ukraine, you'll find it on the battlefront. In New York, you'll find it in theaters. In England, you'll find it in pubs. I stumbled into a church in a park in Hong Kong. They met every week in the park, in the heart of Hong Kong. The church meets in every imaginable 
space from cinemas to homes to parks to cathedrals to pubs to furniture shops to schools to community halls and the list goes on and on and on but the church is not that space remember what disciple peter said he said you also like living stones you are being built into a spiritual house a spiritual house not a physical one it's a gathering of people where spiritual things happen when they are together. I would love to see more spiritual things happen in our church. There are lots of spiritual things happening already. I am so thankful for that, but I would love to see more. I'd love to see more people praying for each other and with each other, asking for healing, teaching each other to follow and how to follow Jesus I'd love to hear more testimony of what Jesus has been doing in your other six days when you're not here. I'd love to see more forgiving and repenting and confessing because that's what the church did when it first met and it was so powerful and it was so strong because of the freedom of the Holy Spirit in the church that the world could not overcome it. Moving in the Spirit is what gathered groups of Christians do. And so finally, I wonder if Max would say, and remember, Max doesn't go to church. Max isn't a Christian. Max represents people in Burley. He might say, well, church is a nice idea. It's a pillar of our society. It's a refuge for those in need. It should take care of the destitute. It should baptize, marry, and bury people. Or, as someone at university said to me when I was there, it hatches, matches, and dispatches. Not sure that's sort of a T-shirt I should wear on a Sunday morning, but it was entertaining at the time. Healthy Western society is meant to have churches. Even if I don't go to one, they're meant to be there. It's an idea, you see. When we first started Village, I sat down with a number of friends I had who lived in Burley who didn't go to church. And I asked them a host of questions to get an insight of what they were like and what the world was like for them and how they understood church. And one of the conversations I had, a friend who is now a really good friend, she said to me, um, when I remember, she's been in Billy for 20, 30 years, she goes, I remember when the, the, the church on the corner, so the corner down, down the street there, when the church moved and it was like the church had left Burley. She said, she wasn't upset about it. She's like, and the church left Burley. I'm like, oh, the church has not left Burley. We're still here. But in her mind, the church had left Billy. Now, the church had actually bought a property just up the road that they developed and moved into. But in her mind, the church had left Billy. It's an idea, you see. She never went to church, but the idea of church was confronting. The church cannot remain just an idea. The church is the gathering of people around Jesus Christ. The most important thing to every church should be Jesus. The most important thing to every believer should be Jesus and introducing him to other people. Because Jesus is the only way we can coexist with people who are different from us. You ever thought about the disciples Jesus chose? He had a zealot. And a zealot is, is, is what we would call in this day and age, we would call a terrorist. The passion and the actions of a zealot back then, we would call a terrorist in this day and age. And he had a tax collector, which is someone we would say who works for and is committed to levels of government. So he's a zealot and a tax collector in his inner crew of 12 guys. Uh, well done, Jesus. 
Hey, how's this going to go for you? You ever think you're bad at, at like building teams, choosing teams, choosing people for ministry? Um, just look to Jesus. You'll be encouraged. He also had a dodgy, like dishonest accountant who took charge of the money. He had a sword-wielding maniac who couldn't keep his mouth closed. He had a pride-filled brothers whose dad's name was Thunder, and at every opportunity they told people. He had a timid fella who was really insecure, who doubted every decision that was made. And not only, not only did Jesus hold this motley crew together, not only did they gather around him every day, not only did he bear their inadequacies and manage their conflicts, they were transformed by his love that all of them, bar one, gave their lives. They were martyred for their faith. And the one who wasn't tried really hard to be. They were transformed by his love to love one another. Like that was a massive task to love one another. It's often a bigger task than we recognize, isn't it? Look around. Jesus' love for us enables us to love, to love, deeply love one another. But then they went to, after loving one another, they started to love their enemies. And the Roman emperors and Caesar and Augustus and Nero and the, the love they had for the, their empire. A Christian love to receive it redeemed and restored. And then to love the world, to love those who didn't yet know Jesus and tell everyone about Jesus. Jesus, Jesus is incredible. What Jesus did in the lives of those, Jesus is amazing. No one else could have achieved that. And then 30 years later, the sword-wielding maniac who couldn't keep his mouth shut said, as you come to him, to Jesus, Peter knew that the church could only be the church if it was gathered around Jesus, as you come to Jesus. And Jesus knew it wouldn't be easy, which is why it says you're being built. Not you have been built already, but we are being built into a spiritual house. It is a process that God is doing and is building us together into the spiritual expression that this world needs. You and I, are being built into a spiritual house with Jesus, a house that is built around Jesus and because of Jesus and by Jesus and by the grace of God, we are included. What an honor and a privilege. Now, I'm thankful to God that you are part of this gathering with me because if it weren't for Jesus, I would not have the honor of knowing you of learning from you, of being enriched by you, of being cared for by you, or, or even being able to offer that back to you. Jesus is so good, isn't he? So good. Far beyond our reckoning or imagining. There's no way I would have chosen the church to be the hope of the world. <laughs> Not a chance. But because Jesus is who he is, we gather around him and the church becomes the hope of the world because Christ is in our midst. Which is what we're going to do now. We're going to share communion together. We're going to live this. We're going to invite Christ into our midst. We're going to dine with Jesus because it's one of the most spiritual things we can do. Where we eat bread together and we are fed by the body of Christ. And as we drink the cup together, the grip of sin is once again loosened. And as we share this meal together, those of us that are enemies become friends because of Jesus. Because we gather around Jesus. Because he is so good. He is so good. Let's pray.